Well, good morning. What a beautiful day, amen? And it is a special day. Uh, for some of you, I think it may be special because it's Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, either you're really excited about the game you're going to watch today or you're more excited about the food you're going to eat later on. Uh, but it's a special day. Uh, actually, for Dana and for me, it is a special day because our daughter-in-law is in labor in San Francisco right now uh, with our third grandchild, and uh, my phone is actually on, and I'm just letting you know ahead of time that if I get a call during this sermon, you're going to have to wait, all right? Just letting you know, just letting you know. But you know, for all of us, it should be a special day because this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we should always remember, always, every Sunday, that it is a privilege to gather with God's people to worship God together. And so I hope you're rejoicing in that. And I think today we're probably being reminded of this privilege because um, we are now aware that we are going to be regathering for inside worship very soon. Amen? And uh, many of you, maybe most of you have heard that the Supreme Court made a ruling on Friday, and that's changed some things. And as your leaders, I'll let you know right now that we are working out the details for what exactly is next. And I really would just ask you to be praying. There's still some things we have to uh, decide on um, and hear more from our state about, I think, before we respond in terms of exactly what we're going to do. Uh, but we are going to get the word out very soon via social media or email or text messages. And whatever we decide uh, for the time that's a, a, a coming, I do expect that uh, we will continue to be providing this outdoor service along with an indoor, with indoor services and, of course, uh, continuing with our online services. You know, one day we're going to move past this pandemic, hopefully soon. And one of the things that I pray stays with all of us is this privilege that we have of gathering together. And here's the reality. Some of us have taken that for granted. Some of us have taken that privilege kind of casually. We've treated corporate worship kind of in a casual way. You know, sometimes it's take it, sometimes it's leave it. And my prayer is no more. No more from this day forward that we will always know what a gift it is to worship our God with one another, together. You know, God, our God is so good. He is so gracious. He gives us so many, many gifts. And one of the gifts that we're going to talk about this morning is a gift that, uh, honestly, we're not uh, typically real excited about receiving. It's the gift of suffering. If you haven't done it yet, you'll want to get your Bibles open to Philippians 1. Our verses are 27 through 30. It's week three of our series, our series Joyful, our exploration of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And just remind you, if you want to take message notes, you can find those on the app. But we are learning in this study, this exploration, how we can live joy-filled lives, how we can live beyond our circumstances. Because truth is, we all have circumstances that hold us back, Right? Sometimes they feel like they're holding us back, those things that are going on in our lives. And yet, we read in this book, in chapter 4, that the Apostle Paul says that he has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. 
In other words, he's telling us our circumstances actually are not the limiting factor that we sometimes think they are. And again, I want to keep reminding you, Paul knows what he's talking about. As I've mentioned the last two weeks, uh, Paul has faced incredibly difficult circumstances, incredibly painful circumstances all throughout his life. And, and one of those circumstances involves Paul's dream of making it to Rome so that Rome could become the launching point for the preaching of the gospel to the entire world. And Paul was so excited to come to Rome as a, a preacher. He prayed about going to Rome. He worked hard to get himself to Rome, but he wasn't getting to Rome. And it was like obstacle after obstacle, closed door after closed door. It seemed like it was never going to happen. But then all of a sudden, he's in Rome, but not the way he wanted to be. He was in Rome, not as a preacher, but as a prisoner. And he didn't go to Rome. He was actually taken to Rome. And, and now he's chained to a guard in a Roman prison. And so when he says that he's learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, Paul is actually in the moment he writes these words in Philippians. He's living it out. So how do we respond? How do we respond when the assignment we get is the assignment we didn't want? Often... That means that we're suffering. Often that means that we are in, in pain. And this passage we're looking at today shows us how we should think about our suffering. And if you were to ask Paul what you should think, he would have told you that you should see your suffering as a gift. And again, Paul was suffering. Again, don't just think prison because, uh, as I mentioned last week, Roman prisons made American prisons today look like kind of like Club Med. Paul is in a hard place, a painful place, a difficult place. His, his future is uncertain. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. His dream, it seems like it's being derailed. And again, in this context of where we've been living for almost a year now, maybe this resonates with you. Maybe you are today in a place of pain in your life. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional or relational. Maybe it's spiritual, but you're hurting. And, and here's what you need to understand. How we think about suffering determines what it accomplishes in our lives. We talked a lot about thinking last week. We're going to continue to talk about thinking. If you're reading through Philippians, you should pay attention to all the times that Paul mentions thinking, thoughts, the mind. He says it over and over again because it is so fundamental I want to give you two realities right off the bat that we need to hear that will set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. And the first one, you've heard it before, but we usually need to be reminded about it because we don't really like it. And it's this, suffering is inevitable. Say inevitable. See, we don't like it, but it's reality. And it's reality we get from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He told us this in John 16, 33. You have probably heard this before. He said, he said, in this world, and he didn't say in this world like it's possible. He didn't say in this world like, you know, there's an outside chance that on occasion that, you know, a few of you might experience a little bit of mild suffering. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. So suffering's inevitable. And it's not the world we were meant for, but it's the world we made with our sin. It's a world broken by our sin. Suffering is inevitable. Second reality is this. Suffering changes us. 
It does something in us. It impacts us, and, and it can go in two different directions. You see, suffering can either build us up or it can break us down. And whether suffering builds us up or breaks us down, it depends really on how we think about it. How we think about our suffering, as I said, it determines what it will accomplish in our lives. And, and what Paul thought about suffering, again, we're going to see today, it's very counterintuitive. It seems really strange. We struggle to grasp it many times. And yet it was how he thought that enabled him to say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And see, thinking what Paul thought about suffering raises a question, and, and here's the question I would like you to ask yourself, and maybe you want to write it down somewhere so you can, you can ponder it and think about it more later, but the question is, what would happen if I began to see suffering as a gift? What would happen if I began to see the pain in my life as a blessing, as something I, I get to experience rather than something I have to how would that change my suffering, and how would that change what God accomplishes in me through my life's inevitable suffering? Now, you need to know that kind of structurally in this letter, Paul is beginning the main body of the letter here in verse 27 of chapter uh, 1. And the next, mix, uh, next main section is going to take us three weeks to get through. Uh, it's chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2, verse 18. And Paul is moving now in this section from talking uh, about himself. He's been referring many things to himself in the last uh, few verses that we, we studied last week. And now he's going to talk about the Philippians. And, and he gives them the first command that he gives them in this book. Verse 27, first sentence says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so he says whatever happens, and, and it's, he's in part talking about himself because, again, as we saw last week, he doesn't know if he's going to live or he's going to die, if he's going to re be released from prison or not. But he's also talking about them. And he says it's not just about me. Now it's about you. Whatever happens in your lives, whatever happens in your city of Philippi, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to understand. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this Greek word translated conduct, it's not Paul's typical word that he uses to tell people how to live. He's got a word for that. He uses it most of the time. This is a different word, and it's actually a word. It's pronounced in Greek, politeumai. Uh, it's the word from which we get our word politics. And it means something like this. It means to live or act like a citizen. It's a really specific technical word, and Paul uses it for a very specific reason. It's a word the Philippians were very familiar with because the Philippians, and we'll see this through the letter, very proud of their Roman citizenship. In Philippi, they had something that most people in the Roman Empire didn't have. In most cities, the people were Roman property, not Roman citizens. Here's a little history to explain why. In 42 B.C., about 100 years earlier, a Roman general named Octavius, he fought an important battle against two rivals on the plains outside the city of Philippi. The city of Philippi helped Octavius, and because of their help, he won the battle, and he eventually became the emperor. And when he did, he rewarded them by making them all, all of the people in that city, he made them citizens of Rome, special status, elite status, and, and they were extremely proud of it. They, they taught talked about living as Roman citizens all the time. 
And so Paul uses this word to catch their attention, to focus their thoughts, but he's using it with a twist. He's saying to them, no matter what happens, I want you to live like citizens, but not like citizens of Rome. That's not what he's talking about. He says, I want you to live like citizens of heaven, because that's what the gospel does. The gospel makes us citizens of heaven. The gospel, the the good news that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins, that he rose from the dead, and that by faith in him we receive forgiveness and we are brought into God's family. That gospel also means that we become citizens of heaven. We're elect exiles. You remember that from our study right out here on this courtyard last fall, studying 1 Peter? We're strangers in a strange land. We're an outpost of heaven in the rest of the world, just like Philippi was an outpost of Rome in this territory far from Rome. So Paul is saying what, whatever happens above everything else, we are to act like citizens of heaven. He's telling these Philippians, make your citizenship in heaven matter more than your citizenship in Rome. And here's where we begin to see part of the gift of suffering, part of the positive things that come to us out of suffering. If you want to write this down, you can do that. It's a fill-in if you were using the outline. But suffering forces us to make choices. It's just reality. Difficult circumstances push us and put us in a place where we have to choose who we want to be. And as followers of Jesus... I think we would all love to think that our citizenship in heaven matters more than our citizenship in any other earthly thing, right? I mean, we'd love to be able to honestly say that being a citizen of heaven matters more than being an American citizen, that being a citizen of heaven matters more in our lives than being a citizen of our career or this corporation or a family. We'd love to be able to say that. I was thinking this week, you know, that... Um, a lot of us are very proud of being Californians. You know, we, we like that we, we live in the golden state, and especially at this time of year. I mean, some of you know when you travel to other parts of the country, you know, you kind of feel sorry for people who have to live in those places, those places where they have something called winter, right? I, I told the <laughs> online service, you know, uh, when I recorded the message yesterday, that for those people watching online in other states that actually have that thing called winter, I said, you know, we're sorry for you. But I then told them, I, I said, I, I would say we pray for you, but most of us really aren't that spiritual. And in fact, just to let you know, I have for 18 years now kept the weather of where I used to live before I came here on my phone so that I could look it up anytime I wanted to. And I did look it up right before I came out. You know what the temperature is right now in that place I used to live, that place which I will not name in February? It was actually zero degrees with a wind chill of 15 below. And I said, praise Jesus. I don't live there anymore. (laughs) You know? And, uh, and, and so, you know, we, we all have these earthly kingdoms that we're proud to be part of, these places where we're citizens, we have citizenship. And, and Paul's not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. He's just saying we need to make sure our highest priority and our greatest pride is in our citizenship in heaven. But that only happens, here's what you need to remember, when we choose to act and live like that. 
And it's often in the difficult circumstances that we're given the choice. And so when we're making that choice, here's what I want you to think. And it kind of, this idea, this concept comes out of this Greek word from which we get our word politics and political. When we're making that choice, we're actually kind of like casting votes for the kind of person we really want to be. You can think of it this way. Our choices cast a vote for the kind of person we want to be. Last year at Southwinds, right at this time, right before lockdown started, I did a series here. Uh, called The Power of Habits, and I told you in that series about an interesting book uh, called Atomic Habits, and it's a, it's a helpful book on how to build good habits, break bad habits, and one of the striking things that the author said was, every time we make a choice, we cast a vote for the kind of person we're going to be, every time. And so, for example, late at night, I open the refrigerator door. I'm about to cast a vote. You know, depending on what I choose to eat, say like if I eat a carrot, which never happens, let's just be honest about it, but like if I choose to eat a carrot, I'm casting a vote for being a healthy person. But on the other hand, when I, when I choose to eat fried chicken, and cold fried chicken at 9 p.m. at night is, is magical, right? I mean, what am I choosing well, I'm choosing joy, obviously. But I'm also casting a vote for not being healthy. So when I decide, you know, another example to like work out, go to the gym. Or maybe I decide I'm not going to work out. I'm just going to sit in front of the TV. I'm going to watch TV for hours on end. Well, I'm casting a vote to be in shape or to not be in shape. When someone wounds me, I have a choice. I'm casting a vote for peace and freedom or for bitterness and resentment. When a door opens to tell someone about Jesus, I have a choice. I'm casting a vote for the advancement of the gospel, the sharing of God's goodness and mercy and, a grace, and grace in a world that so desperately needs it. Or, or maybe I stay silent because I'm afraid and I cast a vote for death, not life. See, you all have to make choices, and whenever I'm in a difficult situation, I, that's when I cast a vote for who I'm, I'm really becoming. And so Paul says to this church in Philippi, I know things are getting hard, and they're getting harder. It's hard living for Jesus in a culture that demands that you live for something else. And again, the, the Philippians, because they were such a place of pride in being part of the Roman Empire, they lived in a city where they were repeatedly called to say, everybody in that city was called to say, Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't say that, people noticed. If you didn't say that, people would see you as a problem. Some people would see you as a danger to society, maybe as a danger to other people. And so they were facing these hard choices. Where were their ultimate priorities? And as they chose to follow God, they suffered. But every time they faced this, it gave them opportunities to cast votes for who they wanted to be. Will we be people who live lives worthy of the gospel? Will we live our lives for Jesus, our Savior, above all other things? See, that's the privilege that comes in the gift of suffering. And Paul is saying to those people and now to us, I know what I want you to be. Here's the next thing I want you to see, Paul says. This is the second part of verse 27. It goes on into verse 28. He says, then, 
Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Here's what I want you to see in those words. Paul shows us three ways that we can cast votes. Three ways that we can choose to be people whose citizenship in heaven matters more than anything else. First, he says, we make that choice, we cast that vote when we stand firm in the one spirit. Kind of an interesting phrase. It's not the most common way we see it being phrased, but Paul is referring here to the Holy Spirit. And if the Bible teaches us, the New Testament tells us that whenever we say yes to Jesus, not only are we forgiven of our sins, not only are we adopted into God's family, but God's Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and God's Holy Spirit begins to transform us from the inside out. And as followers of Jesus, all of us, we have that same spirit. And that's true no matter how many differences we may have in other areas from each other. You know, one of the things that's true whenever Southwinds gathers, it's true right now, it's true anytime we gather indoors, it's true when we gather online, there's a lot of diversity going on, right? All kinds of differences in all kinds of ways. There are ethnic differences, black Christians, Asian Christians, Hispanic Christians, white Christians. We have political differences, Republican Christians, Democratic Christians. We have theological differences, they're Calvinist Christians, Arminian Christians, and a lot of you are like, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it right now. It's not our point today. We have charismatic and we have not charismatic Christians. See, all kinds of Christians, but all kinds of Christians all have only one kind of spirit, the Holy Spirit. And you see, we have a choice as a church family. We can pay a lot of attention to all those differences. Like, like you are over here because you're that kind of person, and, and I'm over here because I'm this kind of a person, and we're different. We can pay a lot of uh, attention to those things, but if we do that, it leads to division. It leads to a lack of unity. Or we can say, we can say, no. We will stand firm in the one spirit who lives inside all of us. So how do we apply this? How do we cast votes for being the kind of people whose citizenship in heaven matters most? And I want to put it to you this way. One application is we choose to pay more attention to what we have in common with each other than what we don't. And we can talk about those other things. That's fine. We can debate some of those things. We're not saying those other things don't matter at all. But we are saying they do not matter as much as the fact that we all share in the same spirit. And I don't know who I'm speaking to right now about this, but some of us sometimes care more about that other stuff. Some of us sometimes are more worried about getting everyone to agree with us. Some of us may need today, right now, in this moment, on this courtyard, to be reminded what matters most is our citizenship in heaven what matters most is that we all have the same Holy Spirit. That's a way to cast a vote for being someone whose citizenship in heaven matters more. Secondly, we cast a vote when we strive together for the gospel. He says, by striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. In other words, he says, you cast a vote to be a person whose citizenship in heaven matters most by choosing to live on mission. 
That's how I'm going to describe it. How do we live on mission? Well, I think in this context, just look around what we've been studying in this first chapter. We, it, we, we live on mission whenever we choose to advance the gospel. That's Paul's uh, phrase that he uses earlier in chapter 1. We, we advance the gospel. We extend God's influence in the world. And this is true every time we do something to serve God. Every time we bring light into a dark place in Jesus' name, we're extending God's influence in the world. We're living on mission. Every time... We bring hope where there is despair. We're extending God's influence in the world. Every time we bring healing where there's hurt and we do it in the name of Jesus, we are extending God's influence. Every time we bring righteousness to a place where sin is running rampant, we are extending God's influence in the world. Every time, say every time. Every time we take the opportunity to speak of the hope we have in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen for us. Every time we share that hope, every time we share that gospel, every time we share that good news, we are extending God's influence and we are living on mission. Every time we do even very, very simple things, maybe as simple as just inviting someone to watch our online service because they're not ready to get out and be around other people. Or if they are, maybe it's as simple as inviting them to come with you and sit out on the courtyard on a beautiful February Sunday morning. Every time that you say to someone, hey, we're, we're going through a series that I think you might find helpful. There's some really encouraging truths that we're talking about. Would you like to come with me? Every time we do anything like that, serve a neighbor, love a friend, help a coworker, every time... We serve God and serve people. We're living on mission. We're extending God's influence in the world. We're striving together for the gospel. And we're choosing to be God's people. We're casting a vote to be a person whose citizenship in heaven matters more than anything else. Here's the third way we cast votes. We stop fearing opposition. Look again at verse 28. Paul says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, the word that he uses here for frightened is interesting. It's a Greek word often used to describe a horse getting spooked. Now, I, I don't know a lot about horses, but I've had friends who do, and they've told me that horses, these massive, powerful creatures, can get spooked by really small things. In fact, I looked some of this stuff up. Do you know what the number one thing that just terrifies horses? Plastic bags. Pa plastic bags like floating around, you know, outside just floating around. That just scares a horse to death. They're also terrified of butterflies. Seriously. Also chickens. I mean, think about that. A chicken weighs about five pounds. Horse is like a 1,000. <laughs> I mean, you would think the chicken should be terrified of the horse, right? And, uh, you know, all of this might not be a real big deal unless you're someone who rides a horse and you're, you're actually riding on the horse. When the horse gets spooked because a terrified horse might throw you off and injure you, a terrified horse might kill you. And here's the thing you need to think about. It would all be for no good reason. The horse is afraid for no good reason. See, Paul says, don't be frightened. Paul says, don't be anxious about people who might oppose you. 
Don't be worried about what they might do to you. Don't get spooked. And what he's really saying is, I know the people around you are bringing pressure on you, and it seems like they're a big deal, but they are not a big deal to your God. He's, he's t- telling them, I, I, know, I know they threaten you with Rome, and Rome, they have a lot of power. Rome seems like a big, big deal. I mean, it's the empire. It's the evil empire. But I want you to understand, Rome is not big at all compared to your God. See, he's telling us, here's how you cast the vote to be someone more invested in citizenship in heaven than anything else. We choose not to live in fear of things that are smaller than our God. Quick survey. Just think about it. Does anyone know how many things are smaller than our God? Simple answer. All of them. All of them. No matter how big they may seem to your life, in your life compared to God, they are infinitesimally small. So don't get spooked by it. Don't fear it. And then he says, he says, if you do these three things, and he's still in verse 28, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Now, here's something very interesting. When you're casting votes for becoming the people you want to be, you actually don't have to win by a landslide. You see, to become the kind of person you want to be, you only have to win by a simple majority. You only have to cast more votes for the kind of person you want to be than the kind of person you don't. And that's good news because that means you you can mess up. You can make mistakes along the way because there's grace. You may cast the wrong vote. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you cast the wrong vote sometime during this past week? And it's okay because our God, who is good, forgives. And we can get it right the next time. All you have to do is cast more votes for who you want to be, for the person whose citizenship is in heaven, than for the other thing. And then he says, and when you're casting votes that way, it's, it's actually going to be like a sign to everyone around you that they're being destroyed. Now, this probably sounds a little strange, and you need to know this is not intended as a, a threat. What Paul is saying is that when you live as citizens of heaven first, the people around you see this and begin to look at you, and they, they start to recognize you have something they don't. And maybe they begin to think, you know what? I'm putting my hope and faith in this earthly temporary kingdom. I'm putting my hope and my faith in the citizenship. I have in my career or in the kingdom of pleasure, but I look around and I'm living my life and I'm starting to figure out that honestly, I don't have the stability. I don't have the confidence. I don't have the peace that I see in you with your citizenship in heaven. You see, our trust in Christ will reveal the inadequacies of those other citizenships. And and people who look begin to recognize these things are falling apart, and I'm going to be destroyed with them. And it it draws their attention to God. It draws their attention to Jesus. And then Paul says what is probably the most difficult part of this passage, and maybe like the entire letter of Philippians. This is verses 29 and 30. He says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, if you're you're writing some stuff down, you got a paper Bible with you and you want to underline it, why don't you underline this word granted? It's key to everything I'm telling you today. And here's the thing you need to understand. Granting is something God does. Paul's saying here, God 
in his sovereignty has not only granted you on behalf of Christ to believe in him, he's also granted you suffering in Jesus. He says, good news, church. We're all in this together. We, we've been seeing that. I've suffered, and I've been in pain for the gospel, and now you're in pain, and you're suffering. Good news. We're in this together. And so this word granted is something only God can do, but it's a word that in its root speaks of gift. It's been gifted to you, the suffering. In fact, to make it even more focused, this Greek word translated granted is all, all actually rooted in the Greek word for grace. Same word family. Do you know what grace is? Grace is an undeserved gift. Now, sometimes we confuse mercy and grace. Mercy is actually when God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve for our sin. When we don't get something bad that we deserve, that's mercy. But, but grace is sort of like mercy on steroids. Grace is when we get something good that we don't deserve. And so hear this. This word granted, where Paul says you've been granted to suffer, this word granted is a grace word. And what that tells us is this very clear. Paul says suffering is a grace. Suffering is an undeserved gift from God. Now, I pause right here for an amen or two, but I'm not hearing any. And I'm not real surprised. Uh, we don't get real excited about this gift. But that's what Paul says. He says, you've been given an undeserved gift of not only believing in Jesus, but also of suffering for Jesus. Suffering is an undeserved gift. And our minds are going, how can Paul say that? I mean, how in the world can he say that? Well, I want to explain to you why I believe Paul says that. And, and I want to wrap this up by just telling you about some of the gifts that suffering brings to our lives, if only we can see them. And understand, uh, the suffering Paul is talking about primarily here is suffering uh, because we follow Jesus, suffering for the name of Jesus. But, but if you read the entire scriptures, on the other hand, on the other hand, the Bible teaches that for those who are in Christ, suffering of any kind can be a gift if only we can see it. And, and I get this from a very familiar verse. Many of you know it. Some of you have memorized it, Romans 8.28, where, where Paul himself also writes, and he says, and we know, not we guess, not we hope, not we think maybe, but we know that in all things, not in some things, but in all things, whatever it is, whether it's suffering for your faith or suffering just because this world is dark and broken, but in all things, God works for the, what's that word? The good, the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for good. So not just suffering for our faith, but in all suffering, God is working for, gift, for good. So, so then, how is it that suffering can be an undeserved gift? Maybe some of you remember we studied a verse last fall in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3, uh, 14, that said, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So God blesses us in our suffering. How, how does he do that? Here's the first way. I'll very briefly mention these to you. And you're going to notice a lot of these come from 1 Peter because 1 Peter talks a ton about this. Number one, suffering helps us turn from sin. And that's a blessing. You should welcome pain that causes you to turn away from sin. 
1 Peter 4.1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Pain drives us away from sin so many ways. Psalm 119.71 says, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. I mean, how many of you right now, if someone were to ask you, you could give a witness, give a testimony that because of your suffering, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have been saved from so much pain, the pain that you would have known if you had continued down that path. Suffering stopped it. Suffering helps us turn from sin. Second, suffering helps us grow. It helps us grow. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Suffering matures us. Suffering makes us complete. Third, suffering draws us closer to Jesus. Have you ever noticed this? When we suffer, we're humbled. We're, we're humbled, and, and we read God's word for wisdom on how to live life. We call out to God in prayer for how to survive the day that's ahead of us. It just draws us closer to Jesus. Fourth, Suffering brings us God's comfort, which then gives us compassion for others. Suffering brings us God's comfort, which then gives us compassion for others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Amen? I mean, I could give you so many ways. I could keep going for a long, long time with this. I'm just going to give you one more, kind of sum it all up. Suffering makes us more like Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? That's a serious question. Do you want to be like Jesus? I'm just telling you right now, you can't be like Jesus without suffering. Because... Jesus the Christ, the very Son of God from eternity past, came into this world to suffer and to die so that you might live. You can't be like him apart from suffering. It's just not possible. We're going to actually see more of this later on in our exploration of Philippians, and so many places in the Bible. Let me just read this passage, Philippians 3, 10 and 11. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, when we suffer, we experience what Jesus experienced. We share in his life and in his death and in his resurrected life. We become more like him. And by the way, isn't that God's goal for us? It is. It's God's life goal for us to make us like Jesus. That's the ultimate reason, friends. Listen to me. That's the ultimate reasons why God the Father gives to us his children the gift of suffering. He wants to make us 
like his son. I want to wrap this up. I want to give you two things to do this week, okay? So if you haven't been writing anything down now and you can write something down or take some notes, this would be a good time to start, just saying. But I got two things. They're like fill in the blank. Um, and these are uh, available for you. Um, well, they may not be on the app. I can't remember right now. But you're going to hear them when I say. Number one, I am most in danger of allowing my citizenship in blank to be more important than my citizenship in heaven. Something for you to think about personally. I am most in danger of allowing my citizenship in blank. What would you put there? To be more important than my citizenship in heaven. Have you identified the place you most struggle with that? I mean, is it your family? Is it your career? Is it your comfort or maybe your wealth? Maybe your health? Is it the approval of other people? I mean, we all have something we belong to or something we look to and depend on, something we're tempted to make more important than our citizenship in heaven. And we need to be aware of it because it's only when we see it that we can recognize the opportunities we will have to cast a vote for the person we want to be. So I want to encourage you to fill that blank in. Second, in my current suffering, I see this gift, and then you fill in that blank. In my current suffering, I see this gift. Now, I just gave you five gifts that God can give you from your suffering, just as examples. But I want you to think about what is causing pain in your life right now. And then I want you to ask, what gift is God wanting to give me in my pain? Think of your suffering. Identify the gift. Because, friends, I'm just telling you, and if you haven't heard it yet, please hear it now. Please hear it now. Listen to what I am saying. Suffering is a grace. Suffering is an undeserved gift from our good God. And this, this is the word of the Lord for us today. Amen?